worship team. We appreciate you standing with us today. Not us. Come on. You're not us. I'm us. <laughs> Is it okay? No? Yeah? All right. Are we live? Welcome. Good morning. I want to say once again, uh, congratulations to Pastor Mark, our pastor, Houghton, and his new wife, Debbie, upon their wedding yesterday, and they are happily off to their wedding honeymoon somewhere today. And so uh, if you're listening, congratulations. So you're stuck with me for a couple of weeks. Sorry about that. We're continuing along the theme that Pastor Mark has been on, uh, big questions or what is a Christian worldview, and uh, today I want to address the question of does it matter what we believe? Does it? Do you think it does? Does it matter what we believe? I, I didn't watch the movie, thankfully, but apparently... In the movie, Oh God, which came out a lot of years ago now, John Denver asked George Burns, who is playing God, and what about Jesus? Was he your son? And Burns answered, yes. And then there was a long pause. And then he continues, and so was Buddha, and so was Muhammad, and so was etc., you see, George Burns was verbalizing what so many people today and around the world and here in North America have believed to be true, which that all religions are good in and of themselves in their own way. They all lead to God, and it's not so much what you believe, but rather how sincere you are in your beliefs. Kind of like the young pastor who ended up at his first little church in rural Tennessee. And uh, upon his first Sunday, uh, one of the guys in the church came up to him and, and pointed to a lady in the church and said, you better watch out for her. She believes in that sincere doctrine. And uh, the pastor kind of scratched his head and he says, what? What? The sincere Sincere doctrine, what is that? Well, she teaches Sunday school, and she believes in the sincere doctrine. He couldn't figure out what he was talking about, and the pastor scratched his head, and the guy said, well, that's right. He, she believes that it doesn't matter what you believe. You can, you can believe in Buddhas or Muslim or Hindu or anything else, and you'll still go to heaven as long as you're sincere. Well, I don't think that a sincere doctrine is what the academics would call it, but it is certainly true that this is a belief that is held by millions of people around the world today, and especially here in North America where we're so proud of our pluralistic, free-thinking society. I don't know. I think the events of 9-11 and the atrocities of ISIS and Hamas and mass murders has kind of destroyed 
the credibility of the so-called sincere doctrine because it all shows us how misguided sincere doctrine can be. And so the question today that I want to address is, does it matter what you believe? Well, if it doesn't, then suicide bombers all over the world today who have killed thousands of people are probably in heaven because their sincerity got them there. When it comes to having a relationship with God, sincerity is important. I hope that we're all sincere about our faith in God. But sincerity alone is not enough. Have you ever pulled onto a road and you thought you were going in the right direction and dawned on you something's wrong? I do that here in Edmondson still all the time because, you know, big city and all. And, I, and, I, and I'll drive onto a road, you know, I'm maybe on the south side and I, I'm not too familiar with that part of Edmonton. And I, I, and I drive onto a road and, and I think, uh, well, this is the right way and I don't have my GPS on, which is really dumb for me. And because I'm a little bit directionally challenged. <laughs> I get lost in a parking lot sometimes. And, and so I'll drive onto a road, and, and, and I'll think it, it feels like the right way to go, and then I'll see a sign that shows me that I'm going in the same direction I came from, and I think, well, it felt like I was going in the right way. And you know, that's true in our walk with God, too, in that, it isn't all about your feelings. It isn't just about sincerity. There's a lot of people who relate to spiritual matters in the same way that sometimes I get turned around. They find, they find the church or the religion or the spiritual system that agrees with their own sense of direction, and they think, well, it feels right, so it must be right. But when it comes to a relationship with God, absolutely, I hope that you're sincere, but by itself, sincerity is not enough because a sincere belief in something that is not true will not get you in the direction that you want to go. And I think that's what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm chapter 33 and verse 4. For the Lord... For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in what? Faithfulness. And you know, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, when Jesus was talking about himself being the, the one, the way, the Messiah, he did not say, I am one of the ways, and maybe one truth, and maybe one way to the Father, and, 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 and I'm one way to get to heaven. He, that's not what it says, right? Read it with me. Jesus said, read it out loud with me. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. The question is, how do you know if what you believe is true? And if it isn't, then how do we find the truth? So I have to apologize Today is going to be a little bit like an Apologetics 101 class. We're not going to do an expositional sermon like we normally do. I promise I'll get back to that next week. But today we're going to talk about some, some things that will help us to understand 
why we believe what we believe. And I think these things are important because more and more in the day in which we, we live, we, it's, it's not really possible just to say, I believe, but we need to know why we believe what we believe. Otherwise, it's so easy to be led astray. And I think that's why so many, so many people, you know, they, they go out in life, young people in particular who, you know, they go off to college, they go off somewhere, and, and, and all of a sudden somebody begins telling them other things that they say are truths, and they get led astray because they really have not established in their heart why they believe what they believe. It's kind of like, well, I believe because, well, my parents told me so. Or, you know, that's what they said at church. But they haven't internalized it and they haven't figured out how to sort through the various truths, if you will. I mean, I use that word very broadly today. The very truths that they're being told, they don't know how to sort through that in order to come to the place where they understand what truth really is. And so this is important for us to understand today, although I'm a little bit hesitant even to um, do it this way, but it's the only way I know how. So here we go. Class, are you ready? (laughs) I hope you have a pen and paper because you might want to write some of these things down. Let me give you four truths today. Truths that I think will, if you funnel all of the information you get through these truth tests, If they pass the test, if they pass through these funnels, you'll know that you're on safe ground, which is the ground of truth. So here we go. The first truth test has to do with universal truth. Universal truth. What is that? Well, truth, according to the dictionary, is conformity to fact or actuality, a statement proven to be or accepted as truth. There are many people today, as you know, I'm not telling you anything new, there are many people today who believe that there is no absolute truth that defines reality. Did you know that? These people believe that everything is relative to something else and that there can't be any such thing as actual reality or universal truths, just a point of view, just a point of view. So they would say, you can't really tell for sure, for sure whether that pew that you're sitting on is really a pew. <laughs> because that it's, it's, it's relative. To you, it might not be a pew. <laughs> this kind of belief leads to what we call situational ethics. And I took a course in situational ethics in, uh, in, in college, and I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. And it uh, made no sense to me whatsoever because, you know, my truth is, <laughs> is founded on the word of God. And uh, what they were trying to teach me was something else. But what is that? What is situational ethics? Well, it's kind of like how it sounds. In this belief system, they, it simply means that what is right or wrong is relative to the situation. It, that whatever feels right in any given situation is right for that person. In other words, reality can only be defined in terms of an individual experience. And so you can see how that leads to a whatever feels good, do it kind of a mentality that we're, you know, living with today. And you can see how that leads to a devastating effect 
on society and individuals, which we're seeing actually played out in society today. You wonder why, you know, people are acting the way they are acting today. And it's because they have this value system, this worldview. Whatever feels good, do it. Relatives, relativists believe that their view actually leads to tolerance. But what it really leads to is chaos because, well, conversation becomes pointless. Because it doesn't matter whether I'm trying to convince you of truth or not because truth is relative to your experience. So how can we even converse about that? This is the postmodern society that we live in. It's one in which we're supposed to regard all values and all beliefs and all lifestyles and all truth claims as equally valid because there are no universal truths. But we've got to realize that there does exist a line of truth in the universe. And you and your beliefs either fall above that line or below that line because there's either a truth or an untruth. If somebody doubts that, then and they believe that there are no absolutes in the universe, here, here's a little thing that you can do. You can simply ask them the question, are you certain of that? And when they say, yes, I'm certain of that, there's no universal truths. Well, they have just proved that there are absolute universal truths because they're absolutely sure that their belief system is true. So they actually believe in absolute truths. <laughs> And if you're having a little bit of trouble with that, then I challenge you to think of a statement that could be true and false at the same time or neither true and false at the same time. Just go ahead and try that. Something that is neither true or false. You've got to think about it at the same time, though, right? But you can't do it. It's impossible. Because something has to either be true or not true, and there's really nothing in between. And you know, I guess maybe that's what Pilate was struggling with when he was standing before Jesus in John chapter 18, verse 37. And Jesus made the statement, For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate responded, you know the response very well. He said it with me, what is truth? What is truth? Well, Pilate... You're standing nose to nose with truth. Jesus is truth. Now some people will come back and they will say, well, what's true for you might not be true for me because truth is relative, right? And of course, that's what humanism and universalism teaches today. But if the only truth that exists in the world is truth that might be true for you but not true for me, well, that's not truth. Rather, it's simply a good saying or sometimes a useful idea. You see, by definition, truth, universal. It has to apply to everybody or it isn't true. And that means that if the claims of Christianity do not work for everyone, then those claims are not true. So you ask me, is there any evidence of absolute truth? 
And I would say absolutely. I'm glad you asked the question. Let me, let me show you where absolute truth is found. First, it's found in the human conscience. The human conscience. What is the human conscience? Well, it's that certain something within us that the world should be a certain way. That some things are right and some things are absolutely wrong. Our conscience convinces us there's something wrong with suffering and starving and, and pain and rape and evil and murder. It makes us aware that love and generosity and compassion and peace are positive things that we should be striving for. That's a universal truth that everyone feels. How do I know that? Because Paul said in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, maybe that's true for Paul, but it's not really true for me. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Let me show you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and this qualifies everything that I've been talking about. This is a wonderful portion of Scripture. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is where? Written on their hearts. Well, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice how Paul says that the law of God, like DNA, is written on the hearts of every man, everyone. Whether they want to admit it or not, it's true. So that every person has a conscious awareness and knowledge of God. Think about that for a minute. Everyone on the planet who has ever been born has a conscious awareness of God. And so our conscience bears witness of this universal truth. But also, evidence for the existence of absolute truth is found in none other than science. Yes, yeah, science. You see, science is simply the pursuit of knowledge, the study of what we know, and the quest to know more. And that leads to the conclusion that all scientific study has to, by necessity, be founded on the belief that there are objective realities existing in the world and that those realities must be discovered and proven. You see, without absolutes, what would be the need for the study? How could we know that the findings of science are real? In fact, the very laws of science are founded on the existence of absolute truth. The third evidence for the existence of absolute truth is religion, religion. Every religion, you know, in the world attempts to give meaning and different definition to life. They're born out of mankind's desire for something more than simple existence. 
It's through religion that people seek God. And they seek hope for the future. They seek forgiveness for sins and, and peace in the midst of struggles and answers to their deepest struggles. Religion is really evident that mankind is more than simply a highly evolved animal. But it's the evidence of a higher purpose and the existence of a personal and purposeful creator who implanted in man the need and desire to know him. Remember Paul said in Romans chapter 2 and verse 15 that the work of the law is written on their hearts. This is God's law. It's written on their hearts. Everyone has a desire to pursue God. And they have a consciousness of the living God. And so we can only conclude that truth is universal and that it applies to everyone, according to the scriptures. The second, that's a first truth test. Run, run your truth through the universal test. The second test for truth has to do with the objectivity of truth. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that what's true is true, whether anyone believes it or not. Isn't that true? <laughs> the world, th those who thought that the world revolved, or, or rather, let me say, let me start over. The world revolves around the sun, even though for a long time, a lot of people felt like the sun revolved around the world. You see, a lot of people thought that the earth was the center of the universe, and that and that everything revolved around the sun. Well, guess what? Even when everybody believed that, the truth was that the earth revolves around the sun. You know, it wasn't until 1909, I believe. I just read this recently. That's why I'm stumbling a little bit. I think it was in 1909 that there was a belief that the galaxies that we know of and that we see right now was, was all that there was. That, that the, this was the end of it. And now, since we've you know, been sending spacecrafts everywhere in the universe, and we have the Hubble and all that, now we know that there are something like, I'm going to get it wrong, 70 billion different galaxies that we know of. I, I don't know if that's the right number, but it gives you the sense of what I'm talking about. Now, that was true whether anybody knew it or believed it or not, because what is true is true whether anybody knows it or whether anybody believes it. Oftentimes, news agencies will do polls on what people think about certain cases in the courts. They'll say, do you think a certain person is, is, is innocent or, or they actually committed the crime? And the results can be 50-50 or 60-40 or 70-30. But the fact is that it doesn't matter one bit what the majority people think. Even if the vote was unanimous, it wouldn't change the objective fact of guilt or innocence because what's true is true no matter what the majority believes. For example, for example, Christianity is the world's largest religion. It still is. Does that 
fact alone make it true? No, not that fact alone. Islam is the world's fastest growing religion. Does that make that religion true? No. The Mormon church is getting bigger every year. The Methodist church is getting smaller. Does that mean the Mormons are right and the Methodists are wrong? No. Scientists and archaeologists try to convince us that certain things are 300 million years old or older. And people seem to be buying into it. Does that make it true? Truth is truth no matter what the majority opinion is, and we can't just wish that something is true, and so it is. If it did, then the world would be chaotic. Because we would all be believing different things, staking our lives whenever, what, on whatever we believe to be true. And so it's common sense just to know that truth is truth. And this plays into what the world is trying to convince us of concerning a lot of different things. Um, Gender identity, sexuality, the family, abortion, even climate change. And the agenda is that if you say something enough times, loud enough to enough people, pretty soon they're going to start believing that it's true, whether it's true or not. I hesitate, but I'm going to give you this example. One example is the gay agenda. Did did you know there's actually an agenda? In 1989, there was a book published, I've read it, as a blueprint to change the attitude about homosexuality in a book entitled, After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. This is what it says in the book. I've just given you this as an example to to see that what I'm saying is, is actually true. Quote, almost any behavior begins to look normal if you expose, if it's exposed to to enough people. The way to benumb raw sensitivities about homosexuality is to have a lot of people talk a great deal about the subject in a neutral or supportive way. Constant talk builds the impression that public opinion is at least divided on the subject and that a sizable segment accepts or even practices homosexuality. Don't we see that playing out in our world today? It's exactly what's happening. They're following the blueprint. And so they have said it since 1989 at least. They have said it enough times to enough people loud enough and in a neutral tone that enough people now are saying, well, it must be true. must be true. But is it? The third test has to do whether the truth is verifiable. Now, in the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about why we believe in God and why we believe in Jesus, and it's because the claims of both can be verified. Both of them can can withstand intense scrutiny, and we're going to be doing that in the next couple of weeks. In other words, our belief that Jesus rose from the dead isn't just based on some folklore, but it's based on eyewitness accounts of historical events, and by, by the way, which has been written about in other secular works that we can verify. 
Um, a few weeks ago, Pastor Mark preached a sermon about why, why we believe that this Bible is authoritative. I hope you remember that one. Because he stole a lot of my thunder. And, and I was going to preach on why we believe in the Bible. And I went to him and I said, I can't do it anymore. You just, you just said it all. And it was a wonderful sermon. That's verifiable. We have evidence to support what we believe. In the 60s, there was a revival in Indonesia in which tens of thousands of people came to Christ. And it was during that revival that a, that a number of miracles were reported. Like people being healed of sicknesses and people being raised from the dead and even such incredible reports as stone statues falling down and kneeling to worship God. Well, there was a Western journalist who went to Indonesia to investigate that story. And in his report, he said that indeed many Indonesians were turning to, turning to Christianity, but that many of the reported miracles were unverifiable, some were exaggerations, and some were pure fabrications. Now, some people say, well, we just need to take these things by faith. How can you know whether they're true or not? Well, the fact remains that if a move of God is valid, then the facts will verify it. The facts will back it up. You have to verify it to make sure that it's the truth. Your beliefs can't just be based on your feelings. Well, it feels felt like I'm going in the right direction. I've heard some people describe to me what their concept of God is, and usually it's kind of a little bit distorted, you know, and he's the big guy in the sky. You know, he, he, you know, it's weird what people think. But the reason is because our concept of God has to be based on verifiable truth, not just on what we feel. And the truth of Christianity is verifiable. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 1. L listen to what the apostle said. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. He didn't say, hey, we're, we're, we're here to testify, to verify the truth. Isn't it wonderful that we believe in a Jesus whom we can verify as factual? Jesus did something that no mere human being can do. He died for the penalty of our sins. He rose from the grave. And since then, nobody has ever been raised from the dead who has eventually hadn't, hadn't, hasn't had to die again. And in fact, Jesus was saying... I'm the truth and I can prove it because I conquered death like nobody else can. And so you've got to run the, the, the information through the verifiable funnel to make sure it's true. Let me give you one final test. It's whether truth works. The test is if your truth works. You see, the reason we believe the Bible is because when you apply its teaching to our life, it works. I think all of us could testify to that. 
Simple pragmatism says that if something works, it's true. If it doesn't work, it's not true. Two plus two is? That statement is true. And three of you knew that. (laughs) It's not just an untested theory dreamed up by some wild-eyed mathematician. It's a formula that has been put to the test billions and billions of times every day. And every single time it works. I have four apples. I give two away. I have how many left? Every time it works. (laughs) Apparently. I'm not even very good at math. How do I verify that a 348-ton Boeing 747 can actually get off the ground. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stood at the airport and looked at those monsters and thought, how in the world is that thing going to get off the ground? If I were just to stand there and look at a 747, 347 tons, I would think, impossible. But then what do I do? I stand there and I watch it take off. Verifiable truth. It's truth because it works. Not just because I feel like it, not just because I think it, not just because it's something that I believe, but it's verified. Now, here's how it works out in our spiritual life. If a belief or a doctrine or a theological theory doesn't work in the real world, it isn't true. For example, there's a quasi-religious group based in Arizona that teaches that if you follow their system and their teaching which primarily involves diet and exercise, that you won't die. And when they say you'll never die, that literally means physically and not spiritually. You won't die if you follow their system. The only problem with the system is that their members keep dying. (laughs) Obviously, there's something wrong with the system. It's not verifiable. And so when I hear some religious leader tell me some type of life system or the key or the, you know, the only thing, I always ask myself, does it work? Teachers come along all the time with a variety of things that you should do. If you do them, you'll be healed. If you do this, you'll be free from anxiety. If you do this, you'll prosper financially. You'll become rich. Your children will behave. And when I hear that, I always say, Is there evidence to support that it works? Well, the Christian message that Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins and give us an abundant life is true, and we know it's true because it works. Psalm 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness or truthfulness. And Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book is not just another book. This is a living book. It lives, it breathes, it thinks, It feels, and it knows the very intentions of your heart. 
And every time it re- you read it, it reads you. Kind of scary, huh? <laughs> it's reading you. And it will bring you conviction. And it will bring truth. And it will set you on the right path. And it will give you advice. And it will give you sensitivities. And it will give you a conscience. It gives you all of these things because it's living. It's true. And people have proven it over and over and over again as their lives have been changed when they put their trust in Jesus Christ from the inside out. And so the Christian message is true because it works. It changes lives. It sets the captives free. It, it breaks the bondage of sin. Do we, uh, do we still sin? Absolutely. But we don't have to anymore. We're not subject to sin. And when we do sin, we have a faithful God who is righteous in his judgments. And he forgives us of all our sins as we confess them to him. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about the Bible today and haven't gone through a passage of Scripture like we usually do. And that's because the purpose of this message was to present a case for Christianity. And, excuse me, we've looked at a number of different sources today. In the next couple of weeks, as I said, I promise I'm going to get back to the Bible itself as we talk about why we believe in God, why we believe in Jesus, but as, as, a, as a sequence in this Big Questions uh, series. But I want to close this morning with a very important verse of Scripture for us to remember. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 8, and it's, it's verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. Jesus is saying that truth isn't some elusive guessing game. You can know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and the way you know the truth is by holding to its teachings. And I want to encourage us today to keep focused on Jesus. Because in the teachings of Jesus, you're going to find truth. And you'll find that what you believe isn't based on a whim or a feeling or on the majority opinion, but it's based on the living God who has revealed to everyone who put their trust in him what is truth. And when you do that, the Bible promises that it will set you free. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word, and I pray that uh, the thoughts that have been shared today will um, just ignite something in our hearts that will cause us to want to filter all the information that we receive today through these truth tests to see that they are actually what you say, that they are true. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us truth and that that truth will set us free. I pray that if there's somebody listening today who has never found you, who has never put their faith in you, that today they will do so, because in you is truth. And Lord, they could be set free from all the confusion of this world. And I pray that you would help them to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark.